brought to us by Richard Namath, a student at Summit Christian College in Gearing, and uh, we'd like to welcome Richard. Thank you, Richard. Good morning, everyone. Um, as uh, has just introduced me here, let me get my laptop clear of the mic boom there. Um, my name's Richard, and I'm filling in today for our regular minister, Josh McKay. He's out at uh, Army Drill. And our message from the Word will come from the fourth chapter of Acts. So if you just want to go ahead and turn there, I will pray real quick. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity you've given me to come and proclaim your word to the good people of Alliance. I just ask that you would guide what I say to accurately reflect what you put into your word. And in Jesus' name, amen. Um, you may have noticed that the United States is a culture which I would say is almost obsessed with safety. Every time you hear about a crime that someone committed in New York, it's time to lock the doors here in Nebraska. Our news media doesn't really do much to help the situation. As Don Henley once put it, it's interesting when people die. So that's what gets airtime. Not just with crime either, we do this with everything. The Russians, the Chinese, maybe the World Economic Forum, the cartels, GMOs in the food, microplastics in the water, maybe global warming or global elites. There's a terror tailored to everyone. And so the natural response is we have to stay safe from whatever our preferred flavor of fear is. And this is not something that we in the church are immune to either. Um, every couple of years, some smooth charlatan will come out with another book proving that X in the news is actually Y in Revelations or Daniel. And of course, you need to buy his $95 bucket of pinto beans to stay safe. And even if we don't fall for the uh, prophecy grift, it seems that half of what we talk about is just, just safety. How often do we only pray, Lord, keep us safe. Lord, hedge of protection. Safety, 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 safety. Now, before you get to thinking that I'm telling you all to go skydiving without a parachute or something nuts like that, there's nothing wrong with being safety with being safe, sorry, there's nothing wrong with not taking stupid risks. But if all we have is safety, what are we doing? Did Jesus call us to safe faith? Well, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. It seems like it might be a good idea if we're talking about faith. So if you'll turn with me to the fourth chapter of Acts, we will find a story there that I think may have something to say to us today. Um, Acts 4, 1 through 5. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed 
because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Um, so a bit of context here. This is probably only a few weeks after Jesus' death. Um, it's after Pentecost, so it's at least 40 days or so, maybe 50. Um, but just, who killed Jesus? Right, the priests, the temple guard, and the Sadducees. These are the same people who sent Jesus to the cross, and they've just arrested the apostles. So things are not exactly looking great for them at this moment. Uh, continuing on, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or name did you do this? As I said, not exactly friends of the gospel here. We look back at the accounts of Jesus' life, you're going to see several of these same names showing up when he's on trial. And so this, I think, is where the question of safety starts to come up. It's very tempting to make the safe choice in front of the Sanhedrin and, you know, back down. Maybe, maybe definitely don't deny Jesus, but you wouldn't want to come out and say, oh, uh, we're his followers, right? Yeah, that might be dangerous. So let's see what Peter does. Uh, verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, keep that in mind, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So it seems Peter was uh, kind of didn't get the memo about being safe. But this isn't recklessness. This isn't stupidity. And what does it say Peter was filled with? The Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind. Um... And then continuing, they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Even the temple leaders are impressed with just how the apostles are speaking here. That doesn't mean they don't want to treat them the same way that they did Jesus. But there's just a bit too much evidence 
in favor of the two for the Sanhedrin to do whatever they want. So what do you do? Well, they ordered them to take the safe route. Keep your head down. Don't make waves. Just be quiet. They aren't even going to make them deny Jesus. It's just don't make any trouble and nothing bad will happen to you. And isn't that tempting? Yeah, I don't have to deny Jesus. I'm just not doing a single thing for him. They called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And again, what do Peter and John say? Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Life expectancy in the first century was pretty short. So this is an older fellow by the uh, standards of the day. And so, so we see the Sanhedrin made its offer, and it didn't work. And let's note something about what the apostles say what we have seen and heard. Jesus was real to them. Is he that real to me? Is he that real to you? And I don't want to ask that as a rhetorical question. Well, of course he is. No. How real, really, is Jesus in my life? Uh, keep that in mind. It will be on the test. Um, in any case, the Sanhedrin can't justify keeping Peter and John in custody any longer. Verses 23 through 26. Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. So prayer is absolutely what you want to be doing when the people who killed the founder of your faith are now after you. That's just a good decision to make. But what aren't they doing here? They're not running away. They barely even seem afraid at all. And it makes sense when you look at what they're saying. They know whose side they're on. The Sanhedrin and its allies would look quite fearsome until you compare them to the creator of heaven and earth. At that point, it's quite easy to see why David might say that kings and rulers rise in vain. I have quite the number of things that seem pretty fearsome for from where I'm at. But am I looking at them with who I belong to in mind. Now, I don't mean to trivialize whatever you're going through here by saying this. The Sanhedrin and Rome between them would ultimately kill 11 of the 12 apostles, plus Paul, the uh, very prolific writer, between the two of them. Jesus never said it would be easy. Quite the opposite. Um, We'll turn to uh, John 16, verses 20 through 21. And really that whole part of John, you'll see this. Uh, Jesus says, 
remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. But they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So Peter and John were there when Jesus said this. That was at the Last Supper before he was crucified. And now they're going to see it play out. What's their response to this? Continuing in Acts uh, verses 27 through 31 of chapter 4. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So when they're faced with the demands of the Sanhedrin, they're not, what do they not pray for? They're not praying for protection because they know who God is. They don't have to pray that the opposition would relent because they know whose side they're on. They know how it ends. They prayed for boldness and not just a little bit. Great boldness. And I think the question we have to ask here is what is in our prayers? What do I pray for? For myself, it's far too often... Lord, um, help so-and-so with such-and-such, or Lord, just help me finish this paper after I've procrastinated it for far too long. How different might my prayers be if I prayed in Acts 4.29 and 30 prayer more often? How different might it be for you? Um... In thinking about this, one thing I've begun to realize more and more is that the best things that have happened in my life have never really come out of just playing it safe. I moved to Nebraska to begin with practically on a whim and gave up a good two-thirds of my income doing that. Just as soon as I'd worked my way up to a comfortable pay grade in my Kimball job, I quit after applying to one college because it was likely, not certain, that I would get in. I started college with no job to make money on the side and no experience in a former, sorry, a formal school setting. I was homeschooled. I had no idea if I could keep up when I first showed up. And none of this is meant to say, look at me, I am so great. What it does show is that God can and does take an idiot in motion and do something with that movement. It's not dependent on my merit or capability. It's what I will actually allow God to do through me. A wiser person would probably accomplish far more with far less difficulty. And the apostles, they didn't need to pray for safety. They knew their Savior was with them. What could be safer than that? They prayed for boldness, and they changed the world. I didn't pray for a safe life and I haven't gotten one. But if I'd had a safe life, I'd still be making good money at a butcher shop in Colorado, and I'd probably hate every minute of it. I'd be safe from the risks of a tiny income with large expenses. Yes, I'd be safe 
from all the pressures of school and ministry. But I'd be safe from every blessing that I've experienced along the way. I would be safe from ever reaching my potential. I'd be safe from ever becoming who I was meant to be. I would be safe from the family of believers that I have gained since I came to Summit. So, yeah, I, you know, I'd be safe from pretty much everything that I enjoy in life. And that's, I think, the price that we pay when our faith is just safe. And again, I'm not saying be stupid, but we need to be more than just safe. And make no mistake, if my faith is not safe, it, well, what's the opposite of safe? Dangerous. The apostles prayed for boldness because they needed it. Um, a few pages on in Acts, we'll see why. Uh, Acts 5, verses 27 through 32. The apostles were brought in, made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Ah, pardon A bit under the weather this morning, need to get some water there. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles once again get an exclusive interview with the high priest, and again, they answer boldly. And what does the Sanhedrin think? Uh, verse uh, 33 of chapter 5, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death, as one does. You know, the Sanhedrin is about as happy with them as it was last time. If I pray boldly, I had best be ready to act boldly and to suffer boldly. One of the priests, a fellow named Gamaliel, is going to persuade the leaders not to kill the apostles. What a kind and humane soul. But let's see what they do instead. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Flogging is most likely referring to a practice that the Jews had of scourging the victim with a leather strap, probably something kind of similar to a belt. Uh, the victim would be struck 26 times on the back and 13 on the chest with this. It was not gentle. So again, what's their response? To the scourging, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace. I don't know if I'd be as happy as they were. And even more, they're not going to stop preaching 
house to house and in the temple. They've just gotten beaten for preaching in public, and what do they immediately go back to doing? And so, getting back to that question of faith and safety, we live in a country that lives in fear. And I don't think the church is much different from the country in this. The Acts, church, the Acts 4 church was facing real problems, and yet they were bold in their faith. We are less so. I would submit that where the church in Acts changed the world, the church in America is, for the most part, changed by the world. So what's the difference? How do we go from a church manipulated by the world to a church that conquers the world? And I'm going to say, probably temporary expectations, it's unlikely that we're going to overnight win the country back for God or anything like that. But I believe each of us has a part of the world, small as it may be, that we've been given to change. So how do I change my piece of the world? I think I need to start, first of all, with the Holy Spirit. Peter and John don't face down the Sanhedrin in their own strength. If you'll recall the story, this is the same Peter who fled at the terrifying specter of a servant girl asking just if he knew Jesus. And now he's standing in front of the highest council in Jerusalem and throwing their own words back in their faces. Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus now, and he has the Spirit of God living in him. And that's the difference between Peter running from a servant girl and Peter standing before the Sanhedrin. I should not expect to do any better than Peter denying Jesus if I don't have the Spirit. And I won't have the Spirit if I don't have Jesus in me. If Jesus is not real to me in the same way he was to Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin, I don't know what I'm going to do for him. Boldness, courage, bravery, whatever you care to call it. Even with the Spirit, if I only ever take the safe route, what am I really accomplishing? And make no mistake, it does take boldness to follow the call that God has in your life. It's unlikely any of us are ever going to face physical danger for our faith but we will face difficulties nonetheless. Life is just hard on its own, and it's hard to face a family member who refuses to believe, a friend who has left the faith, but it is as necessary as it is difficult. This is why we need boldness, why we need to pray for these things. Third, we need to understand Living a bold life in the Spirit will take us through suffering. I don't think anyone here is likely. It could happen, but I don't think it's likely that any of us are ever going to be imprisoned or put to death for our beliefs. But we may lose friendships. We may lose relationships with family members. It may cost a job here and there. It'll certainly make us look a bit silly to people who don't believe. I don't want to understate this. 
you're going to run into things you don't like. But when I have in view the reward that the apostles in Acts did, it's not so bad. I may not enjoy it, but I can face it. And so I just want to end by, um, if you can find one of those prayer cards on the seat in front of you, or if you just can take down a note, I want to end by praying that um, God would help each of us to find, maybe we'll call it a little Sanhedrin in our own lives that we need to face. And then pray that God gives everyone here and everyone listening the boldness to go and face whatever that thing may be. Dear Lord, we thank you for your power in our lives, the power to face down anything in this world if we only believe, if we only follow you. I ask that you would give me the boldness, the strength, the courage to face the things in my life. And I pray this for each person in this room as well. Whatever it is, however small, however big, Lord, you just enable each one of us to follow you. I thank you for everything you do for us, everything you have given to us. And I ask that you would be with us today, next week, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.